rather than panicking about the externalities, just be really clear on what you need to do and respond from there. Yes. How do you find the courage to try? Can you distill the clarity to start? What drives real commitment to keep going? Let's deconstruct complexity and make it simple. Let's learn how to take action and make progress. I'm Pete Seligman, and this is The Next Step. Welcome to The Next Step podcast. Pete Seligman here with Alicia McKay, and she has come over from sunny New Zealand to visit us here in Sydney for quite a few events, which we might even touch on during the conversation, but thank you very much for coming here. Ah, thank you for having me, it's great to be here. So, as I mentioned beforehand, I think it'd be good just to get like a quick kind of 30 to 60 second grab on who you are and what you do and what you're kind of focusing on right now, and then we'll use that as a bit of a context to continue the conversation, so. Yeah, okay. So I, for my sins, like to work with government. So mm-hmm. I work with public sector leaders and teams. And like, I just kind of like finding ways to do things better, right? And I started my career in the public sector as a policy wonk and did a bit of consulting and just spent a whole bunch of years really frustrated yeah. at how hard it was to do anything and how long it took yeah. to get anything done in that sector. So the kind of work that I enjoy doing is actually just that strategy stuff around what's the most important focus for us at the moment Mm. and then how do we set up our teams and our organisations in a way that make it easy, not hard, Mm. to deliver on the stuff that matters the most. Because I think in government there are so many things that you can potentially care about and get involved in and they're all worthy causes, right? But it's really hard to be able to get the same level of focus that you can get in a commercial environment where your only indicator is commercialization and so I just really enjoy working with really committed you know super passionate public sector staff who just want to get more shit done yeah so I help them do that and they just want to work out how to actually translate that to action I remember one of the things that you said a little while ago was you were talking about that translation of turning strategy into action yeah and it's I think that was one of the things that really sort of um, sort of got us connected in the first place was the fact that we've got very similar views when it comes to that. Yeah. And I think you're right, like like government and local government and, and various levels of government can suffer from stagnation totally. in getting stuff done. But equally, like I, I remember back in my bigger corporate days, the same kind of gap between around the board table, lots of great ideas and strategies and positions and directions and all this kind of stuff, and yeah. then still this kind of layered gap to action. Totally. Um, and there's a tyranny of scale too, right? So the bigger you get and the more complicated everything gets, the harder it is to actually just push something through. Yes. And everyone's a victim of that, regardless of what the organisation's trying to do in the first place. Yeah. 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 And so so you've just been here in the last couple of days. Tell us a bit about what you've been up to. Oh, what, I have been hanging out in New South Wales so much at the moment. <laughs> like you guys are turning it on and in Wellington so I came here last week to work with a regional council uh, here and when I left Wellington, it was five degrees <laughs> and it was ice winds and when I landed in Sydney, it was 36 degrees. Yeah. So I'm so happy to be yeah. here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wellington, amazing city, yeah. just terrible weather. weather. Yeah. Uh, but for the last couple of days, I've actually been here with the Australia New Zealand Smart Cities Council mm-hmm. and this is really exciting stuff because it's essentially mostly local government and it's just really passionate people who are putting themselves on the line 
to change the way that their cities work. Mm. So it's really smart stuff around how do we use you know, AI and the internet of things and all this really cool new technology. How do we actually make people's lives better with that? Mm. And I guess recognising and supporting those people and those politicians to continue to do that and to push the boundary. And so that's been amazing. Do you think that the perception of local government and local council from a, call it a consumer or a constituent perspective is keeping up with the reality of those organisations? Like, I think a lot of people, when they think about local government, quite often they'll think about, you know, garbage collection, pothole filling, yeah. that kind of thing. And also they will unfortunately also correlate kind of slow moving, administrative, kind of laborious, I want my development application approved so I can renovate my house. It's oh, taken totally. me five years, all this kind of slow stuff. Yeah. Whereas I guess the feeling that I get is that that's not the reality inside these organizations anymore. Like, are you saying still there's a big gap of that perception and that's one of the battles they've got to face? I mean, it's a bad brand, right? Because yeah. the only interaction that you ever have with your council is when something doesn't go your way. So mm. every day that you turn your tap on and flush your toilet and drive to work, you're not calling to say, hey, look, thanks for another day of successful utility provision. So grateful. <laughs> so the only time, these are invisible services yeah. unless they don't work yeah. or unless something goes wrong. Yeah. So that brand perception is really difficult when you provide an essential service. But when answering your question, the answer is yes and yes and yes. Mm. So is there a perception that it's an administrative sluggish machine? Yes. Mm. Is it an administrative sluggish machine? Yes. Yeah. Is there all some stuff happening that people simply aren't aware of and don't recognise? Yes. Yeah. So all of those things are true. Yeah. And they're true at the same time. So what you've got is an environment where you've just got a whole bunch of people who actually are really committed to doing a good job and more often than not an environment that makes that really hard to do mm. which is why it's so important to recognize when you're able to push through those barriers and make new stuff happen like in the smart city space yeah and so that whole road rates and rubbish yep. thing which is what we think about with councils i interviewed the mayor of uh, city of canterbury bankstown yesterday mm. at the smart cities conference and one of the questions i Interestingly, one of the questions I asked him was, so you guys are a leader in this space, you're doing some really cool innovative stuff. Do you suffer from people in the community saying, this is not your core business, why are you playing here? How does that fit in the tapestry of the essential stuff you've got to do? And he just kind of looked at me like, well, we're doing this stuff so we can do that better. Yeah. It's the same. It's the same thing. Yeah. So the technology and the innovation and all the community engagement stuff they're doing, it's not separate to roads, rates and rubbish, it's a really important part of it so they can do that stuff in a way that's really smart and yeah. it's really cost effective and reaches people. Yeah. So I think it's really important that we don't kind of consider those things to be just these fixed there's services. There's the city stuff and then there's the smart stuff. Yeah, and that's yeah. so easy to do, right? To think, well, this is the stuff I do that will never change or can never change and if I want to do new and exciting things, it has to be over here and something I don't really understand. Yeah. Like actually what we need to be doing all the time is questioning all that cool stuff in our life, whether yeah. it's roads, rates and rubbish yeah. or projects or programs and going, is there a better way to do this? Yeah. Are we doing this in a way that's getting us the most impact? Are we getting bang for buck here? Like, where's the room to move? It's funny, I was speaking to someone about this literally just earlier in the week. So people talk a lot about, so in the space that I play, where we're talking about sort of either buying or selling businesses or, or growing businesses or changing the nature of businesses to increase value for the shareholders or whatever. Yeah. Over the last 
maybe 20 years, but definitely kind of 15 years, there's been this terminology thrown around too broadly around are you a technology business or not? Ah, right. Okay. Right? Yeah. And, and maybe 10 years ago that was valid because yeah. there were actually technology businesses. Whereas I think that today that line is far more blurred and there are still technology businesses. And the way I'd define that is those are businesses that actually develop technology. So they develop the core technology, whether that be sort of hardware, firmware, software, whatever. They're yeah. developing that. There are lots of other businesses that call themselves technology businesses. They're not. They're just businesses that use technology. Yeah. And because there's technology is now so pervasive, it's almost like the term technology business has lost its shine because anyone can call themselves well, a technology redundant. business. Because if not, we're in business and not using technology, then it's, yeah. what are you using? Which is the same as the smart cities thing, right? Yeah. So it's the same kind of thing you were saying there. Like it's not as if you do, like you come to work for the local government and you do your like dumb city stuff yeah. and, then you spend, <laughs> and then you spend the next half of your day doing your yeah. smart city stuff. It's like, the, yeah, like you're saying, the, the whole idea is that you're making the whole thing smarter by using technology. And so you talk about kind of the mm. misuse of the word technology business. Mm. I have a pet peeve about the word innovation. Oh, yeah. So we talk yeah. about innovation as though it's a very new and exciting and sexy concept. Yeah. But if you think about it in terms of finding ways to do things better yeah. or making new connections, isn't everyone doing that? Yeah. Shouldn't everyone be doing that? We've yeah. been innovating yeah. since day For, dot. Forever. Yeah. And what's really unhelpful is when you think about things like smart cities or business transformation yeah. or innovation and you put them in their own little lab yeah. team or position title and you're like that's the innovation guy that's where innovation aha innovate yes you're like well actually isn't that everyone's job yeah. to be thinking about what's the stuff we're doing how can we do it smarter are we playing in the right space that should be everyone's job yeah and the more senior you get in an organization like if you're on the exec team that's 80% of your job yeah. or it should be yeah it's thinking yeah. about how to do those things in a better way yeah yeah. it's funny it's like it's like you said transformation it's like I think the same thing about change like yeah. a lot of people think change is like something that needs to be done in addition to your normal business as usual oh, whereas whereas businesses <laughs> whereas businesses are constantly changing and yeah. so that is part of business as usual like if you're actually going to done you know, if you've got a particular business line um, and you're going to set up a new business line, then yes, you need to do some new things with that. But yeah. your business that you've already got is constantly evolving. And totally. as a result, you need to constantly change. Yeah. I, was, I was talking to a guy earlier this morning about sort of people and roles and job descriptions and how they're constantly evolving and sometimes what businesses. And I imagine this would be an interesting sort of concept from a, from a local government perspective too. We're talking about the fact that you might recruit someone and their title and job description looks like this. Yeah. And then three years later, they leave to go and do something else and you try and recruit the same job description. But actually, everything about your customer, your market, your competitors, your business has changed. Totally that job description actually doesn't fit anymore. So how do you, like, so your whole kind of crux is working with these teams in local government to not only develop strategy but then turn that into action yeah. are you finding that part of their struggle is the fact that their environment is changing so much that the job descriptions and titles are changing a lot i mean there's titles today in local government that didn't exist 18 months ago totally and so how does sometimes i like to ask a room like who is only doing what's in their job description mm. nobody puts their hand up 
everybody puts their hand up. Uh, and we've become so fixed. Of, so it's really trendy at the moment as part of the strategy process to do workforce planning. So yeah. that's another thing like innovation where we're pretending that's new. Like, yeah. Will we not always thinking about what we need in a few years and what the people are? But I think what I'm seeing, um, and I kind of haven't come down either way on whether this is the right direction yeah. or not, but when we're thinking about workforce planning in an environment where things are changing really fast, it's all about recruiting for agile workforce mm. and capabilities over skills. Mm. So what's really fascinating is there's a government department in New Zealand that has 4,500 staff. It's a tax department, so mm. this is like some specialist staff. I've only got 10 roles. So oh, right. if you work there, you are one of 10 kinds of roles. Wow. Yeah, so the idea there is that you're either a team leader or a customer specialist or your director or your whatever you are. And if you need specialist knowledge in the area that you're working in, there's like an online portal to go and find out what you need to know about whatever that area of tax is. But actually it's about your capabilities. And so whether oh, that's in that people role, leadership or strategic to, planning yeah, or customer okay. experience, that's what your job is. Right. And so for four and a half thousand people, yeah. That's fascinating to me. Yeah. And so we, we pay a lot of lip service to the idea of a flexible workforce or an agile workforce. But in reality, we have no idea how to make that happen. Yeah. And the most effective response I've seen to that so far is people going, oh, let's just stop trying to understand what each specific role looks like. Let's just equip people with the right capabilities yeah. to do great stuff so that as things change, we just shift them along. And start to teach them whatever is new that's emerging that's coming out, yeah. and then they've got that transferable capability to take along with that yeah. new content. I think when government suffers, that the private sector doesn't have quite so difficult as it's really hard to work with staff. It's like a highly unionised environment, and there's a mm. lot of um, regulation around it. Mm. So if you want to change someone's role... Oh, yeah, true. So tough, right? And <laughs> the way that you recruit, um, heaps of... And particularly here in Australia, more so in New Zealand... It's really hard and that's why we see restructuring mm. as the answer to all ills right because it's so hard to fire someone mm. and change their job that it's easier to just restructure just the whole it. team yeah. and make half well. of them redundant and start again yeah which is what i think gives change that yeah kind of bad yeah it does yeah it does yeah because yeah. you say change and people immediately go <gasps> yeah. you mean restructure yeah yeah whereas it should be change equals evolution which equals kind of incremental change for everyone over time as they continue yeah. to evolve into and it's weird how we've separated change as a separate thing. Like it's something mm. that, um, like you said before, we mm. should constantly be changing, right? Mm. So in the, um, so I ran a session this morning for uh, public sector managers yeah. here in Sydney uh, to talk about, you know, uh, being more strategic when you respond to change. Yeah. And I like to use the example of when, like when you set a budget, like a personal budget, yeah. and you're doing your budget, and this is like your ideal budget, right? So like I'm going to spend this much on food yeah. and this much on whatever, and you're like, oh, but I can't, like I can't stick to the budget this week. I've got that thing due and I'm yeah. or oh next week because the kids have got a yeah. thing but the week after I'll get back to the normal budget yeah never get back to the normal yeah. budget yeah like this is the reality of your life that yeah. it's the stuff's coming at you from all angles and so rather than panicking about the externalities just be really clear on what you need to do and respond from there yes just stop panicking about all that other stuff yeah because it's going to come oh it's, it's coming come. yeah it's coming uh, I play a game in my workshops called um, it's, a, it's Been a Disaster. And so we get to the end of a strategy process and like one of the most common things I hear when I get to the end of a strategy process with any kind of team is um, like, you know, this is great. Yeah. But by the time I get back to my desk... <clears throat> I'm going to go back to what I did before. Like I can't. Everything's going to be different. 
mm. right? And so we play a game called It's Been a Disaster where I get people to come up with the worst possible case scenarios where if I came back in 12 months' time and said, how did you get on with implementing it? They would go, oh, it's been a disaster. Yeah. And they give me all the things that might happen and it's things like uh, we get a change in government that totally realigns our agency. There's a natural disaster. The community experienced some kind of traumatic, you know, violent event. We lose our reputation and credibility either in terms. So they give me all the things. Yeah. And we get this massive long list, and then we look at you know how we might prepare for that or whatever. And then I look at the list, and I always say, "There's something on this list. Like probably at least three things on this list. We're going to happen." Yeah. yeah. So rather than operating from the standpoint of like the ideal budget, the ideal scenario, and then being surprised when things happen, just assume at least three things on that list are going to happen and just steal yourself and just however you out. can. Yeah, 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 just be ready to I, go. I think one thing that, that sometimes falls down with the acceptance of things like strategies and plans is that people use the exceptions to disprove the entire thing. Oh, yeah. So either during the development of it where they say, well, I'm not sure what we might do in that situation, so how could I possibly plan for that? Yeah. Or after it's been implemented, something goes against the plan and they're like, oh, we might as well just throw the whole thing out. Yeah, bang the bathwater type stuff. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. and I, I used to say, you know, every plan's just the basis for future change. Yeah. But Ooh, then, I like that. But then I heard another one, <laughs> but I heard another one, and it was actually, I, I heard it first from... A woman here who's ex-defence force and then I heard it secondly from I think one of your connections in New Zealand who's yeah. currently in the New Zealand defence force and both of them said the same thing so it must be a defence forces thing and it was something like no plan survives first contact with the enemy <laughs> yeah. which, which is obviously a defence thing but, yeah. but and if you think about defence forces like they're constantly planning constantly drilling constantly like preparing for every piece of contact they might have with the enemy, so to speak. But their general saying is that regardless of what planning they do, it's not at some point in time the plan will become redundant. It's literally at first contact with the enemy, it's it's the plan will be gone. Oh, yeah. But that doesn't mean you don't plan, right? Because the planning is helping your brain to get comfortable with thinking about scenarios. Yeah. So then when you're in the moment, you can think about those scenarios. And right? so the value of that process, as you rightly pointed out, isn't the plan. <clears throat> it's the principles and the priorities that you settle on as part of that, mm. that you can then use to guide decisions that are totally off plan. Mm. So if you've decided, if you're at council, for example, and you've decided that economic growth has just got to be your number one priority from now on for whatever those reasons are, you take your plan out, your first initiative fails, something else happens. If you're still operating from the place that goes, but what we need to be putting first in all of our decisions is whether or not this contributes to economic growth, you're off plan, but you're on strategy. Yeah. And that's the difference between the two. One's about intention as opposed to the way that you operate. And yeah. if you've got your intention nailed, then it's easy to adapt. It's when you haven't done that bit and you're too focused on the details of the plan or the output yeah. instead of what you've forgot, you You've forgotten the direction at the top. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So it, I was, I was going to joke before about saying, you know, this is awesome content. Someone should write a book about it. If <laughs> <laughs> only someone would write a book about this stuff. <laughs> so anyway, here's one that you prepared earlier. Um, <clears throat> so I guess there's a couple of questions I wanted to ask you about this. Like, so there's part of the questions I want to ask about for you personally about going through the process of deciding to write the book and then actually writing it. And so that's almost like a personal bit. And then the yeah. second bit is kind of what's the crux of that and who and 
who's the audience and what do you think you want them to take away from it? So, so first of all, but the, the book itself. Like, I think there's a lot of people that think, oh, yeah, I'd love to write a book about yeah. that or I'd love to, like, whatever. Like, what does that actually look like? Yeah, funny story. And it's a shame I don't have a copy of my book to then go, but <laughs> the reason I don't have one is because the last copy that I had in my backpack, yeah. the venue that we just left where we hosted oh, yeah. uh, a speaking event yeah. had a corporate... Um, like library sitting oh. in a bookshelf on the way out next yeah. to reception. Perfect. And so I just stopped before I left and snuck my book Merchandising. Into the <laughs> <bookshelf>. <laughs> so just a quick off topic quote. I, I went to uni with a girl who was in um, like one of those kids dance group things, huh. you know, like they do like she was doing physical education at uni and at the same time was doing this kind of kids show dance thing. Yeah. And they brought out DVDs and all that kind of stuff. And every now and then we'd be walking through the shopping center or whatever and walk past a DVD store, which now they don't exist, but and every time she would stop and she'd go and find like a stack of her DVDs, take them off the back shelf and bring them up and put them right to the front. Yeah. It's just like merchandising. It's always going to be at the front. Yeah, so, so that was a good move. And I if think. you know anyone that's written a book, if you see their book at Dimmox or yeah, at the airport, bring them to the front. Bring them to the front. Yeah, that's, that's it. The right. So if anybody that's sees it. my book, <laughs> bring it to the front. Bring it to the front, yeah, please. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, so writing the book. Yeah. What's the question? So, I, so what I want to know is like if you boil it right down to that whole like taking action piece because yeah. these things are always ideas yeah. and then you've got to go through the step of saying, you know what, I am actually going to write a book about yeah, this. Totally. I'm actually going to put myself out there and put my name on a book cover, which yeah. can be quite a thing, you know, and then I'm going to work out how am I even going to work out what I'm going to write in it. I've got yeah. a bunch of ideas, but how do I structure that? Yeah. And then what I've heard, because I haven't written one before, what I've heard is then you get into the process of it and you're like, far out, I'm only halfway through. Yeah. Like, there's a, that's actually quite a process. So, so I, so I actually that wrote all... my book in three weeks. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. So <laughs> it's one of those things where you say, um, so I wrote my book in three weeks, but really it took me a lifetime. Yeah. You know, yeah I mean, right, blah, yeah. blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. But so what I find really useful for doing anything and works when I work with teams as well is to put yourself, back yourself into a corner. Yeah, uh, and I particularly need this because if I don't have the threat of an impending deadline, yeah. I will find something else yeah, to, to do. do. Yeah. And I had an event I was speaking at in Wellington, and I think it was on the first of March. And I decided in November that I was going to write the book, and then realised cycling back, if I wanted the book in my hand for oh, this for particular event, event right. okay. what did I have to do? And yeah. the answer was, by the time I thought about the publishing and the editing process, I've got three weeks. I have three weeks over <laughs> Christmas. Yeah to write the book yeah and there's something very freeing about that kind of constraint yeah because it takes a lot out of it you yeah. just have to do well, no whatever decision you have to do right, to get there. you just do it yeah. correct so yeah. there's a lot to be said for um the power of constraints mm. and then also for a public public commitment mm. so by telling everyone i'm writing a book yeah. i'm writing it over christmas i'll yeah. have it for this event it's like i'm going to run a marathon Suddenly, everyone's like, okay, well, because you've got to do something to make it real, and this is the same with strategy Mm. where things sound good when they're theories, but until you can grab onto something tangible and make it real and take the first step, which Mm. might be a book cover or it might be telling someone that you're going to do it, it doesn't really happen. Mm. And then once you make something real, your clever little brain looks for all the ways to make that happen, Mm. right? So Mm. once you've decided something's going to happen then all you can do is find the ways to make it happen. Yeah. So what seems really overwhelming becomes a step-by-step process. So yeah. instead of being, one day I would write a book, yeah. becomes, okay, I'm writing a book, uh, I've decided who I'm writing it for and what yeah. I need it for, what are my steps? 
I've got to get it cover designed. I've got to get it, a formula for a chapter structure. Yeah. Um, I have to find an editor. Mm. I have to find a printer. I have to, and it becomes so manageable and then it's at that a project. point because it's a project. Yeah. So piece by piece, yeah. and then the writing the book becomes a step in the project, mm. which you then break down to little ones. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. so I loved it, yeah. and would go and put myself at a cafe for you know six hours on a Friday. Yeah. And again, tell the people at the cafe, I'm writing my book. Yeah. <laughs> and just and just bash it out. Yeah. And it was such a like validating, reassuring thing to do to go, you know, something that seems this massive and unachievable is actually just I did it. It's just a series of steps. Yeah. And so I've found myself saying, which is actually quite unhelpful to people, oh yeah, it's easy, anyone can write a book. Mm. Just write a book. What mm. you do is you write it, which is yeah. actually really unhelpful. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but also totally true. Because yeah. what if you want to do something what can you possibly do other than just start doing it? Mm. It's mm. the only way. Mm. And then all of the other steps in the process become clearer to you as you figure yeah. them out. Yeah. It's just rules to follow. And it doesn't matter how big that process is, there's yeah. always a way of breaking it down into yeah. parts. Right? And we live in a world where everybody uh, has so much information freely available to them. Mm. So if you want to know something like, how do I write a book? Mm. And then your question is, how do I structure a chapter? Mm. Google, how do I structure a non-fiction chapter book? And you're going to have the world's expertise yeah, in up. your fingers in seconds. Yeah. There's no excuse, right? There's actually no yeah. excuse. Yeah. So the stuff that holds us back from doing things like that is nothing to do with the enormity of the project. It's the stuff we tell ourselves yeah. about whether or not we can do that. Yeah. And once you suck that out of it, you're away. And so what about then the book and the content and the audience yeah. is obviously around this local government piece and, and frankly getting shit done, right? So yeah. how do you actually turn strategy into action in that environment? So you, yeah. so there's like a targeted niche around that. Um, what has been so far um, the kind of response you've had and has there been any particular sort of example of where someone's converted like one of those chapters that you wrote while sitting there in the cafe and they've converted into something they've actually applied which must yeah. be quite a kind of strange experience right uh, like, it is the best feeling ever and i've got yeah. two examples from yeah. today that i'll yeah. give you in a second that yeah. just i've been walking on air ever since yeah cool uh, but as you've rightly pointed out what made the book an achievable project was it had a very clear job to do and a really clear audience and so this is true whether we're problem solving or designing strategy or whatever that looks like, the more specific you are, the realer something becomes. Mm. And we've said before about change and innovation and technology, we use these really abstract terms yeah. or compound terms and it just makes it really, really hard to grab onto. So our book for government, what is that? So what I actually had on my whiteboard when I wrote the book was I had four people. And I put four people on my whiteboard and I gave them names and I gave them jobs. And so they were across local and central government yeah. and they had specific position titles and then I'd written down what I thought their problems were yeah. and what they might need from books. So I'm like, this guy, he's third tier public manager, yeah. he's really overworked but he feels hamstrung by both his own team and the exec team and I'd just written down, what does he need? Yeah. I would write the book for those four people. Yeah. And so then choosing the title of the book became easy because what all of those four people had in common were turning the thinking into doing. Mm -hmm. And colloquially, just from knowing these people, because these are all based on people all I work with, yeah. their most common complaint is not getting shit done. Yeah. So putting a guide to 
getting shit done on the public se- yeah. in the public sector on the cover yeah. of the book Should spoke work. directly to those people. Yeah. So I had a really clear job to do, which was, and that funneled every choice I made from then onward about what are the kind of case studies I need? What are the kind of tips and tools that people need to be useful? Because I know those four people need help with these specific things. So yeah. it just becomes filtering things through a really specific set of criteria in any context, but in that context, is super useful. But of course you don't know until you put this thing out into yeah. the world how useful it is for people still. Like you think you know. Yeah. And you should write about the things you actually know about to people you actually know, yes. right? But I had two examples today that I've just been grinning yeah. about ever since. <laughs> yeah. uh, so the, um, a big focus in the book is about how important it is to get stuff off your plate, right? Yeah. That if you want to create space to do the stuff that you think really matters and to respond to all the stuff that's changing, you've just got to ditch a lot of stuff first. Yeah, yeah. Because you said before, change isn't a bolt-on, mm. and I just say that all the time, right? Like change... If change is just new stuff to do, that's not change, that's addition. Yeah. Change yeah. needs to be instead of, yeah. not as well as, which means that when you put something in, you're going to have to chuck something out. Yeah. So I, I talk a lot in the book about setting priorities and making trade-offs, and I spoke about that this morning. And before I left, a guy in the audience who, like if I'm going to be totally honest with mm. you, I kind of thought he didn't like me. <laughs> like he had one of those, you know, how some people's listening faces like, shrinkling. <laughs> So he was sitting directly at the front, and occasionally I'd glance at him while I was speaking. And be he's, be sitting, worried. he's sitting there like, I'm like, oh man, this guy's not buying into me at all. Like, what are you going to do? And before he left, I had a chat to him, and he goes, You'll be pleased to know. God, got off his phone. I just cancelled a project. So you've ruined someone's day, but I'm putting it into action. I was like, Holy shit! It worked. <laughs> it worked. So he leaves and goes off to like kill someone's dream, but you know, also, like makes his But did exactly like, what you said he should do. And I'm going, oh, I said that, and then someone did it. Yeah. And then I was delightfully telling, I had a client in the room, a yeah. uh, general manager at a council here, yeah. and I was telling him, oh, the best thing just happened. Yeah. You know, a guy left and he's off to can a project, yeah. and he goes, yeah, well, after your workshop last week, which I've been talking about delegating, so operating at your pay grade. Like yep. stop, fiddling, yep. stop fiddling around, if you're the yep. exec team, the junior manager, the board, mm. stop fiddling around with stuff that people three tiers below you should be managing. Mm. That's a control issue, it's a fear issue, yeah. you are doing no one any favours, mm. and actually, if ratepayers are paying your wages, you're ripping them off, Yeah. right? Yeah. So we'd had this session last week, and he goes, after your session, I emailed HR, and I said, I'm no longer the final sign-off on hiring decisions. I trust my managers to do that. I'm no longer the final sign-off on contracts because I don't even read them anyway. anyway yeah. My directors can manage that for me. I'm no longer doing this. I'm no longer doing that. And he goes, and I've done it. That's fantastic. And I was like, oh. <clears throat> That's really good. How good is that? So, yeah, really I'm, I'm talking to people all the time. And it's it's lovely to have people say things like, oh, that really resonated with me and I felt like you really spoke to my problems. Like, that is nice. Yes. But, but what is really so much example. better it's really yeah, example. is someone going, thanks to that, I've made this change. And I'm like, <laughs> It's interesting because, you know, one of our businesses works in the local government space. So yeah. we do on-street parking meters for, for um, local government. And so that business has local government as a customer. So deals with a lot of the dynamics of local government. But even just beyond that, like a lot of the issues that you're talking about are actually issues for organisations across the board. Just whether people, they right? be not-for-profits, businesses, private, public, whatever. 
Um, and that concept of delegation and autonomy and, and empowerment is a really, really interesting one. So and, and so often you'll see situations, I mean, I remember back when I was in larger organisations as well, but even today where there might be a contract or something and the sign-off sheet sits on the front and it's literally got like 10 names. And it's like no, none of those 10 have looked at the contract because they're all just looking at the fact that nine other people signed it. So they're like... You actually get less control with more names, Bingo. not more. I mean, you get that down to two names, and then suddenly those two people, like, they really care because yeah. they know that it's only the two of them. So I think there's a, another really interesting benefit to that kind of I'm cutting myself out of the process step, which actually improves the control, not detracts from it. Because totally. suddenly he's saying, the people that below him were signing off on that and they're handing it to him. They like, actually yeah, not. It yeah, it doesn't matter. He's going to sign it. <laughs> yeah. Like so, he's in the he's in the bin too. If things go wrong, whereas as soon as he says no, I'm not signing anymore. Like this is you. They're like, well, I better take a pretty good look at it. And so, so what you what you've had on there, it's the accountability hot potato. Mm. And so what mm. we do when we don't want to take ownership of something and we don't want accountability for it, is we hand it to someone else. And in an organisation where you've got the chief executive or the chairman signing off on decisions that yeah. they shouldn't be. That means that the people who've, who've escalated that up have sent the accountability upward because mm. they don't want to take ownership of it. Mm. And so the other way that I see this happening in government is when we commission a really expensive, like big four consulting firm yes. to give us a report on something or make a recommendation on something that people in-house knew no, this. No, the answer, yeah. But they've got an accountability opt-out yep. because they're following the recommendation of someone else. Yeah. And it's that kind of fear-based... And and I get it too. So if you're in if you're in government, it's understandable, isn't yeah. it? But but it every decision yeah. is scrutinised in hindsight. Yeah. Uh, you got the paper that wants to cover every decision you're making. Yeah. Uh, and you know that whatever you've done now could be dragged up in five years' time as part of some other scandal. Yeah. And so we will avoid risk as much as we can. So if we can palm that on, yeah, we'll do that. Yeah. Yeah. So I know that Mick's going to be saying, look. I could have anticipated right at the beginning of this that this could have been like a three-hour session. So I don't. Know <laughs> so okay, what we'll we'll wrap up. I've got I've got one more question. So what 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 I'm seeing a lot of at the moment coming out on social media and various other things is people are saying like, and I remember years and years ago, probably even back in the '90s, where people were thinking about corporate strategy or what they want for the future or like big picture things and they'd be like, let's have 2020 vision. Did they say blue sky in it? Well, they probably said blue sky, 2020 vision, you know, that kind of thing, right? But it was always 2020 because it sounded cool because 2020 is like really clear vision and 2020 was a long way away. And now it's only whatever people say, like 68 days or whatever, right? So so we are now, and interestingly, I'm going to go on forever, right? So interestingly, (laughs) I saw an article in the paper yesterday and they did an analysis on Blade Runner the movie and how right it is. Because Blade Runner the movie was set in November 2019, right? But it was written in um, 1984 or whatever. So anyway, there's a few things. Anyway, you can read the article. But (laughs) to, to my question, so what's in store for you in 2020? Like what, for my 2020. For your 2020. Like, ah. You know, to like, what, what's, what's you got in the plan Great for 2020? Uh, so I'm writing my second book mm-hmm. over Christmas. Oh, there again. you go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I'm writing a book about brave public leadership. Yeah. So about how do we get the people that work inside local, state, federal government 
to take more risks yeah. and to stop escalating that accountability somewhere else and actually do some really cool innovation, right? Wow. So writing a book about that, which I'm really yeah, excited I about. Think that'll be excellent. So that'll be yeah. um, that'll be launching in New Zealand uh, just before our election season hops up as well. Oh uh, yeah. So good. that's going to be interesting. Yeah. Uh, but I'm doing a lot more work here in Australia. We only have 76 councils in New Zealand. Mm. You've got We've twice got as many of that in the state. We do. <laughs> so, we you do. know, nice big problem. Yeah. So I'll be hanging out in Australia a bit more. Yeah. Uh, but, like, I'm really enjoying just working with, and kind of the beauty of having the book is that you're able to narrow down and really work with people that you really enjoy working with, mm. right? And so I've got this really wonderful luxury now of being able to choose to invest in the relationships for mm. my business yeah. that I get a lot out of too. Yeah. People I like hanging out with yeah. and people that are doing great stuff. Yeah. So following on that journey, not just walking in for a strategy workshop yes. or whatever. And, and then writing the invoice and, writing then, and then leaving. Yeah. Yeah. But actually being part of a process where you see people um, changing their own behaviours mm. and implementing things and seeing those outcomes and impacts at the other end and actually, yeah. So that's what I'm all about in 2020. Second book, strong relationships and more stuff in Australia. Fantastic. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you for having me. It was great to manage to wedge it in with everything else you're going on. But no, if anybody wants a 24 hour session, (laughs) (laughs) we can make that happen. But thank you very much. I really appreciate it.